CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by CypherTrace, a MasterCard company. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Coindesk TV. You're watching The Hash. I am Zach Seward. That's Jensen Assey. We got Danny Nelson on the show today. We're going to get you up to speed on all that's going on in crypto and more. Starting with the more. Jen, take us to Capitol Hill. What's up? All right. OpenAI Sam Altman testified before the Senate Judiciary Community on Artificial Intelligence this morning. A growing list of tech companies have deployed AI tools. As we know, we talk about them here often, uh, like ChatGPT, recently shining a light on how regulation should be applied to the industry. Sounds very, very familiar. Let's take a look at what Altman had to say. We believe that the benefits of the tools we have deployed so far vastly outweigh the risks but ensuring their safety is vital to our work. And we make significant efforts to ensure that safety is built into our systems at all levels. Before we released GPT-4, our latest model, we spent over six months conducting extensive evaluations, external red teaming, and dangerous capability testing. However, we think that regulatory intervention by governments will be critical to mitigate the risks of increasingly powerful models. All right, there we had Altman calling for regulation. Zach, I'm going to toss it off to you. What do you make of this? Feels oddly familiar to another industry we talk about often. It is funny to see this sort of parallel conversation happening, right? With a lot of the same echoes of, okay, what's the government's role? How do we protect these people? What's going on? I think it is interesting that this industry is sort of ostensibly asking for the government to backstop it should things go horribly wrong. Um, it's a bit different, I think, from the crypto conversation in some respects, but also quite similar, right? Like there's general wariness of these new technologies among those in Congress. They're looking to, A, sort of ride the wave as people become fascinated by these technologies and B, kind of implement some stuff that could put some guardrails on these technologies such that things don't go horribly astray. So it is funny that we hear both these things happening in concert. I wonder if there's ever going to be the intersection of the two conversations, because I think there is a world in which like crypto is the native currency of the AIs, right? And that becomes like really potentially interesting world, like mass adoption of humans in crypto, never going to happen, too complicated. But mass adoption among AIs of crypto, I think that's really what people should be talking about. Danny, what do you think? 
I have no idea what you were just saying there, Zach. We've just we see these AI tokens. I'm like, I don't know how you. They can't open bank. They can't open a bank account. AI can't open a bank account. They, they can't. They, need to pay I, well, stuff. they can't open a bank account, but they can use uh, GPT-4 to hire a task rabbit to perform a task. So the AI might not be able to make a bank account, but the AI can hire someone to open the bank account for it. And when they do that, I don't know, that maybe then you can get your crypto tokens involved. But the only connection I see between these two worlds is Sam Altman himself. And of course, <laughs> Sam, uh, critical to OpenAI, so too to WorldCoin, in effort to scan everyone's eyeballs and give them cryptocurrency. For what reason? I don't know. Uh, maybe he does. Maybe he actually will use these tokens uh, in the coming AI future. You know, I was really jealous that you guys spoke about WorldCoin yesterday and I wasn't here. So I had to bring the story to the forefront so we could talk about WorldCoin in some kind of parallel uh, universe. I think, Zach, what you're saying is interesting. And I think that, you know, people like Sam Altman are going to start bringing the two worlds together. I really do see these two technologies working together. But are we just saying that because they're both very innovative technologies? Aren't we kind of working towards a future where both AI and crypto are embedded into our everyday lives and work with just all technology. And the discussions around AI, there was like a big discussion around jobs this morning in the hearing. And the way I see it is like AI and crypto are just going to enable humans to do more, right? And so that's where I am going to leave it because I'm losing my train of thought and I'm going to pass it back to you, Zach. It is like the intersections with money <laughs> that are always the most charged, right? Like crypto stuff is crazy because money is associated, right? The future of the financial system is on the line. And I think like the AI conversation, of course, is going to hinge around jobs and whether or not people are going to be able to you know, earn a living in a world in which AIs are going to be able to provide increasingly sophisticated work just by themselves. So obviously it's where these conversations intersect with money that you see a lot of these big heated testy exchanges and a lot of people start probably rightly worrying about it. So that's why crypto is always charged in terms of these conversations. And it is always fascinating to me to watch the AI conversation interact with people's livelihoods. So anyway, good stuff. This will be something that will be much discussed today. I'm sure, but we are going to change gears. All right, let's go over to the world of venture capital. We're going to go to Peter Thiel. We're talking about a Bitcoin startup, River Financial, raising a pretty significant round here in the down market, $35 million, nothing to sneeze at. To me, what the story is here is finding Bitcoin startups in a sea of Web3 startups that are, are possibly investable. And a Series B here is certainly an investable team. So I want to talk about that. I think, like, you know, I think it was Nick Carter who kind of famously said, like, you know, Web3 investment saw like billions and billions of dollars of investment um, during the last bull run, but like he wasn't able to deploy a hundred million dollars in capital to Bitcoin startups because they're just they weren't Bitcoin startups out there uh, in numbers. So now I think we're starting to see that conversation shift a little bit, where there are Bitcoin only teams that are kind of riding this wave of excitement around what Bitcoin can be as an alternative to the banking system, and additionally with some of these inscriptions and ordinals and all this stuff that we're seeing pop up on the Bitcoin blockchain. So anyway, I'll toss it to Danny for some initial thoughts on this. It is just a funding round story, but I think there are some interesting ideas behind it. Yeah, uh, River's been around for a pretty long time at this point, all things considered. And they offer a lot of what I guess you would consider to be traditional Bitcoin services from brokerage accounts to Lightning plugins to that. That's the core services that they offer to the world. You have to wonder, though, now that there are just new ways of using Bitcoin with BRC20 and with ordinals, inscriptions, all this kind of stuff, 
I wonder how those developments either played into this funding round or more likely are now going to be playing into how River thinks about its future because Bitcoin is evolving so quickly that if you're a Bitcoin company, then you have to be prepared to expand your services too. Jen? Yeah, Bitcoin is really having its day in the sunshine, right? And I, I think when we're raising money, you have to always think about the narrative that the company, the startup is telling investors. And the River CEO said, you know, these bank failures and bailouts have been a reminder of why Bitcoin is so important. And now is the time to tell that story, right? Like now is the time where, where investors get that emotional reaction to these bank failures. A lot of people in Silicon Valley were banking with these banks. And so it makes total sense that this is the narrative that they would use to raise this capital. I think if we look from a regulatory perspective, Gary Gensler has said, you know, Bitcoin is the only cryptocurrency that he doesn't view as a security. And now we have Bitcoin doing other things. We have BRC20 tokens, we have ordinals. The only bad thing right now is the congestion that Bitcoin is experiencing from all of the transactions, all of the actions. And what do you need to, to solve these problems? It's more money. So it just makes sense to me. Zach? I think money is always the answer. You think money is always the fix here? Just throw some money at it and see what happens. Just, yeah, I think that just just yeah, just take the money. Just take the money. Fix it. Take fix the, money. the just fix the Make fees. it work. Make it work. Make we it believe, work. Make but it, it needs work. to work. Give me enough money, I'll fix the problem. I swear. There you go. There you go. Credits River here for raising. You know, again, despite sort of dismal conditions in the greater VC world. So the idea that you know, as Danny alluded to, these are pretty traditional like brokerage stuff, right? But these investors are clearly seeing promise and maybe even sort of trying to position themselves early for that next big run up in Bitcoin, right? These are these sort of funding rounds that get these firms to, you know, like growth stage, right? Where you get revenue on board, all that good stuff. And then sometimes, you know, the, the multiples on those investments, you know, really become quite large when these valuations climb and potential exits await because it is a more traditional model than I think some purely crypto investments uh, at the layer one or layer two uh, level. So anyway, the Bitcoin narrative is certainly back. And I think we're probably likely going to see more Bitcoin-specific startups, I think, in the funding uh, conversation. Something that would previously have existed on you know, Ethereum or other layer ones becoming big sort of uh, generators of VC activity. I feel like we're going to see more Bitcoin-only startups sort of riding, again, this new wave of interest, given some of these technological developments. All right, who wants the last word on this one? Danny? I'll take it here. Uh, you ha we haven't talked yet about uh, the man right at the start of the headline, Peter Thiel. He has been involved in Bitcoin for a while now. I remember him on stage, I think at Bitcoin 2021, waving a $100 bill in the air. I think he even lit it on fire for the audience. He is very much thinking about, or at least telling the world that he is thinking about Bitcoin as this adversarial currency that will help us move away from the dollar. And I think that's important for us to think about here too, how are these, these Bitcoin startups actually trying to position this world for development, uh, for that uh, future of finance uh, developments in the future financial ecosystem? They're going for revolution here, and they've got the money that they think they can do it with. Yep. And this is Peter Thiel participating individually, but of course, Founders Fund, certainly a big player in crypto investing, brought on Joey Krug, formerly of Pantera Capital, who spoke at Consensus and shared some big ideas about what he's going to be doing, leading crypto investments over at Founders Fund. Is identifying and mitigating crypto risk a challenge? Do you need help balancing compliance issues with the need to protect against fraud? CypherTrace, a MasterCard company, can help. 
They work with banks, governments, regulators, exchanges, and other crypto entities to identify risk, trace the movement of crypto funds, and help comply with global regulations. Visit CypherTrace.com today for more information. I'm here to talk about greed, the predominant force in the meme cord markets. It's not something good, but it's something that might make you money. This one won't, though. The greed token turned out to be a social experiment. This thing exploded on the Solana network last week as one man who's commonly known as Voshi started tweeting about how if other people tweeted, greed consumes everything around me and all this other inane nonsense, they would be airdropped. Greed token. And 43,000 people complied. Uh, they followed his steps. They compromised their Twitter account securities and threatened the security of their wallets to get a token, to get their hands on a token they knew nothing about. And it turned out that it was all a rug, but not one that they lose money on. Instead, one where people just had this one man in Croatia tweeting nonsense from their Twitter accounts about how greed is not a good force, how they need to be more thoughtful about account security, and maybe take a step back and think about what really is right and wrong in this crypto world. Zach, uh, you and I, we've known Voshi for a while. What do you think of this story? Legendary, absolutely legendary <laughs> move by Voshi on this one. The gentle rug. It's like a shag rug, right? Like where it pulls your feet out, but you land softly and it's you're so in the crunchy. caress mm. of a big, large man named Voshi. And that to me is what this story is about. I mean, people in this space have observed this phenomenon for a long time. People love free money. In his first tweet, he put airdrop there prominently. All interactions with this tweet will be recorded. And people are attuned to these, these handouts because sometimes they're quite profitable. So the fact that Voshi was able to highlight that and sort of comment on this sad desire to get on that next big rocket ship up uh, is, is great. And I think it like, should open people's eyes that this is such a defining feature of the space. You know, this is 43,000 wallets. I'm sure there was people interacting with like multiple wallets trying to do their best to, to, to farm this potential airdrop. Um, and it's something that I think we've seen from like real projects, they struggle with this, right? What's the dynamic? How do we get people on board this decentralized movement um, while not rewarding just outright greed? And I think it is sort of like, again, we always go back to the bell curve, right? We always go back to the midwit meme. There's definitely like the, the, the big brain and the small brain, they're jumping on these things as soon as possible. And uh, Voshi was able to tap into that sort of, uh, that raw energy to make a funny comment on, uh, on crypto being silly at times. But Jen, what do you think? What a commentary. I'm done giving public service announcements and advice to people because obviously no one listens when it comes to telling people how to be safe, how to be secure, how to guard your things, not to FOMO into anything. Everyone's out there doing their own thing. So I'm just finished. I'm not giving any advice anymore. Everyone do whatever you want. If you have greed and you want to latch on to these projects, you know, just I'm out of it. Danny, I have a question for you, though. I need you to explain to me just like a little more uh, like how this happened. Why were people giving out their Twitter accounts? Was it just so that Voshi could tweet from them? Like what what was the mechanism? What made it so enticing? So what made it so enticing? I really don't know. I mean, this, the funny thing about this is that it was supposed to be a joke. Voshi saw five days of his friends just in his words, putting dollar signs in front of, in front of fruit names and launching tokens, uh, which really just made him very sad and upset. And he wanted to highlight the, the insanity of all this by saying, let's just see how many 
fools would respond to my tweet where I tell them to tweet about how they're being greedy. He thought that that 90% of people would get the joke and 10% would fall for it. It was the other way around entirely. And that's when he decided to start leaning in. And that's when he tried to teach people a lesson. So in order to claim the airdrop, you had to do two things. One, you had to assign away your Twitter uh, tweet permissions to an account, which is something that Twitter allows you to do. It's a system that's set up. And then two, when it came time for the airdrop itself, which was on Friday, four days after this whole thing started, you had to sign a, a, a transaction that was designed to look suspicious. Now, it wasn't actually a suspicious transaction, but it, for those who were looking for red flags, it might be a reason to think, hmm, maybe I shouldn't just sign a transaction with my hot wallet because whenever you sign a transaction that you don't fully understand, you are risking getting drained. So no one got drained here. Instead, what they got was a token that is uh, a bleep coin, shall we say, but actually has more utility than any other meme coin out there, according to Voshi, because while you cannot trade greed, like it is frozen in your wallet forever, it will always stand as a reminder for you who you're going to call because it, it is the phone number for the SEC. So according to Voshi, this thing has more utility than any other token in existence because as long as you have it, and you always will, you know, you know the phone number to this file is the way to complaints teach with the SEC. Voshi's it is the way to out. teach people, This is right? the way to teach people. Voshi mm-hmm. figured it out. It is a charming, it yeah. is a charming, charming story. There are so many good details in this story. So thank you, Danny, for uh, committing it to the page and telling this. Uh, and the, the, and the I, will say, I will say, if, if you want to hear a little bit more about uh, this whole greed story, one, you should definitely read it. And two, listen to Carpe Consensus, where I and the squad are there, which is, yeah, you guys are almost as stellar as my, my co-hosts over there. That's why I only, that's why I only Maybe. moonlight on the show. But we go sure. in deep. I'm covering consensus about control, greed. Control, cut off. You this can't man. just come cut on our man. show and then. Oh, I came talk into this house. About I, I, yeah, <laughs> we not don't only come that, on your but show I'm telling that of you. <laughs> you're welcome to come to my show. <laughs> Always welcome. All right. all right. Well, you heard it here first. Danny's invited us all onto Carpe Consensus. Uh, shall we move on to the last story? Let's. All right, let's do it. Bitcoin and Ether correlation is at the weakest since 2021, according to new data. Analysts are saying this could be a hint at a regime shift in the crypto market. The the two top cryptocurrencies by market value uh, moved in tandem for much of 2022, but that relationship is weakening now. Some are saying that this could be due to Ethereum's switch to proof of stake. Zach, what do you think? Are these two Uh, just going to continue to separate from each other? I, I don't know. I mean, we kind of have this sort of narr- narrative combining of the thing. All of a sudden, Bitcoin is trying to support things that, that Ethereum is known for, right? Like Ethereum has always been the hotspot for NFTs. It's always been the hotspot for meme coins. And now all of a sudden, we're seeing a lot of excitement around Bitcoin being able to support, albeit in different, in different technical ways, some of those same innovations. Interestingly, like as the prices of these things uh, depart, sort of the narrative story around Bitcoin specifically does appear to be kind of inching closer to what Ethereum had done previously in the past. So I don't know. I mean, this is above my pay grade. This is strictly Amkar. We need Amkar on this to, to really shed light. But I think from a narrative perspective, the fact that Bitcoin is trying to support some of these uh, smart contract-like uh, functions, it, it does make maybe like, I don't know, muddles the picture that they're separating entirely, but I don't know. Danny? Yeah, I, I have to say, I stopped trying to speculate on the markets as soon as Jed gave me the great advice to, to 
uh, clear out my 401k and put it all on frog tokens. So that's just it goes to show we shouldn't listen to Jed for financial advice. You also should not <laughs> listen to me. I've got I've got nothing insightful to say on uh, why or why not Bitcoin and Ether are correlated in these markets. Market's going to market. Markets are indeed going to market. But yeah, Bitcoin, Ether, I mean, those are always the two top dogs. They're still the curse of the third coin. That's a really great piece that someone wrote for Coindesk not a, a long time ago. But the idea that this third coin can ever break into the upper two has yet to be proven. But yeah, I don't know. There was um, another story that came out this morning that there are now a million wallets that hold at least one Bitcoin in it. And that just made me so happy. So I wanted to mention that here at the end of the show. A I million. would love to have one Bitcoin. That would be so nice. I just imagine. I know, right? I know. I would, like, I would like, not only that, I'd love to have one million Bitcoin in one wallet. That being mine. Wow. But and that's a little know. greedy. And we You're learned about greed at the <laughs> at this, <laughs> earlier on. No one listens. <laughs> You're right. No one listens. Look at me, I'm eating my own dog food. Oh my goodness. Yeah, Danny, maybe one day you can be Justin Sun level. That would be Justin Sun level whale, but that would be, that would be quite, oh the, quite the story. All right, anyway, we're going to go back to uh, looking at our very, very small bags and we're going to wrap the show there. So thanks for being with us here on The Hash on Coindesk TV. Thanks also for checking us out on the podcast network. A lot of good stuff over there. Later on today, Coindesk TV has all about Bitcoin. That's at 3 p.m. Eastern. Go ahead and check that out. I'm Zach. We got Jen. We got Danny. We're signing off. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 